Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville Show. My name is Jerry Miller. It's an absolute pleasure to connect with you guys on a network that has absolutely gone bananas from a reach, viewership, and listenership standpoint. We have conversations that matter and long form on this show. Institutional memory and the network to talk about those conversations that matter on this network. And today's program is presented by our friends at Castle Hill. Their 231 festivals this Saturday. It's June 10th. Uh, we heard um, right before this show that six or seven hundred people are going to be in attendance here. This might be a fantastic opportunity for Bellamy Brown to meet a lot of people um, because we know his competitor is doing something different that day. So he's got a great little venue right here right. at Castle Hill on June 10th. We're going to talk Bellamy Brown, his campaign, and everything that he's doing special in this community in T-minus 10 seconds. Judah Wickhauer is the director. This man is A+. plus people. J-Dubs, I sincerely mean that. If you could, studio camera, and then the two-shot on front of the program, Bellamy Brown. Kipasa, how are you? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> You're grinding, aren't you? I am, very much so. Very Give us a so. snapshot into a day in the life of Bellamy Brown, where like, wake up, yeah. like the routine, when you go to bed, and the grind. <laughs> I don't know if there's necessarily a routine. I think every day is different. Um, everything presents... Um, a different challenge or something, uh, you know, within the campaign that needs to be done. Um, so, like last night, we had a you know a rally uh, over at the vault uh, put on by my good friend Bill Atwood. Um, you know, got home late from that and you know crashed uh, most of the time. I'm you know just out knocking on doors, meeting folk, and 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 you know hearing about the concerns uh, you know within the district. Um, and that's been you know pretty helpful and, and informative um, to just be on the ground and. Um, I mean, that, at this point, uh, you know, I got in late. It was kind of a, uh, well, this is a grassroots, uh, you know, deal, and, and, but we've gotten a lot of traction, and so, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, door knocking is a unique animal, and one of my favorite <laughs> things about door knocking, I've actually done some volunteer door knocking in years past, yeah. is there's no more grassroots effort than a stranger going to someone's house, yeah. knocking on their door, and wanting to talk politics. <laughs> I mean, that is the definition of grassroots. People yeah. respond very differently in door knocking scenarios. First, yes. put that in perspective for us, and then yeah. the second part of the question is, what have been some of the common themes you've been hearing from the folks while, while doing this grassroots effort? Sure. So, uh, for me, um, you know, I ran in 2019 for city council, um, did some work on the oversight board for, you know, the past few years. And so people generally know who I am. They see my signs all around and I gotta, you know, I gotta give kudos to, to Jennifer Eberline and, and, uh, Marley's, uh, court Mulder for that. They're the ones who came up with that, you know, with the idea and it's, you know, everybody loves it. And so, um, you know, I'm grateful to, to both of them, um, on that, but, um, they see my face and, 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 uh, you know, there all the conversations have been, you know, primarily primarily good. We do have some where it's like, eh, I'm not, you know, I'm not really interested or, or what have you, and that's that's par for the course. Uh, we're not going to get every vote, um, but it's you know, it's been good. And I, I'm a I'm a people person, um, and I can have conversations really about <clears throat> the needs of our district because for me, it's not about politics. It's about you know bringing practical solutions um, to to our district overall. And so um, I'm happy to to get an idea. And you can't. You can't get an idea of what's going on in the district unless you go and knock on doors and talk to people. You may have folk that are, you know, representative, but their representation may differ from what 
um, you know, what's actually on the ground and, and, and everything. So. I want to I want to give you props. Bill McChesney's watching the program. He says, I have a Bellamy Brown sign in my yard, <laughs> and I'm proud to have it hanging in the house. Yes. Um, if you want a question or comment um, for Bellamy Brown, put it in the feed. I'll relay it live on air. I, I've been impressed with your campaign because I've seen Bellamy Brown signage and branding yeah. in neighborhoods of all types of backgrounds. Yes. You have Bellamy Brown signage in... Affluent neighborhoods. Yes. You have Bellamy Brown signage in middle class neighborhoods. Yes. You have Bellamy Brown signage in in working class neighborhoods. Yes. Put that in perspective for us. What that means to you? It seems to me you are a, very much a candidate of the people. Yes. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. This isn't about me at all. Um, I wasn't intending to run. Uh, you know this cycle, and and you know just got the push to 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 get out there, and and, and so I did. Um, as I said, came in you know last out of five. Uh, to get in the race, I'm um, now one of three, um, and the people are very much responsive uh, to uh, to my campaign, to our campaign, um, and and they've again, you know, they. Whereas in 2019, you know, when I came back home, folk didn't necessarily, I guess, know my name as well. Um, so there are some folk that still don't know, but that that base has uh, has increased, and so. Um, you know, it's been it's been positive across the board, and I think when we are looking at a representative uh, for our district, we have to uh, be open to representing everyone in the district. And so, um, for me, that's what that's what really what it's about. What's the number one issue? So HD fifty five, the number one issue seems to be abortion. And I'm going to yeah. ask you about HD fifty five. You had one of I think one of the most hilarious posts I've ever read on social media. And you know the one I'm going to allude to, where it was the Almore County Democratic picnic. I think you said this is going to be a smidge awkward or something like that. Well, I, I, I don't, but I want to highlight you first. Sure. Um, in HD fifty four, yes, a completely different district. Is yes. it gun violence or is it abortion reproductive rights? Uh, from what I've heard in 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 fifty four, um, there and we've just. Had had a couple of shootings here locally, or, or a few days ago, or um, or what have you, and that's that is a that is a big concern. Um, women's abortion, women's rights, reproductive rights, um, is you know is there as well. Um, so, but we can't negate the fact that in this particular district, um, you know, people are concerned about gun violence, um, bullets coming through the homes, you know, what's happening to uh, kids in the black and brown demographic, which has an effect on the overall community. Um, so we can't we can't deny that, but absolutely, uh, you know, women's rights, women's reproductive rights are, is right up there as well. How has the has the gun violence um, has it lessened? It's certainly not in the news cycle as prominently. Yes, and and so that's so for a while there was there was a lull, and I was like, all right, we're you know things things are things are you know turning the corner, but you know I hear from you know. Uh, folk who, you know, at the dairy market and what have you, there they were still, you know, shootings and, and things happening within uh, within that uh, spectrum that weren't really uh, advertised as much. So, um, I, you know, overall, again, there's still work to be done. I think, uh, you know, even in Richmond, um, at the uh, at the graduation, you know, these these are these are young folk. Uh, and what we found is, is between 13 and, and 21, that's that space where uh, some of these things are taking place. But we also have to look at what are the factors that um, that got us there? Because this is a collective deal. It's not just, oh, these are kids are out here, you know, shooting up each other. Um, there are other uh, factors from a policymaking perspective and what have you, community perspective, that, that factor into that as well. How can we utilize policy to keep our streets safer? 
Sure. I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's a collaborative effort. Um, you know, working with you know Chief Cotches, uh, you know Chief Longo and uh, Chief Reeves. Um, you know, here locally, I think when we look at uh, uh, the crime footprint, uh, we have folk coming from uh, what is that, Madison, uh, Green, um, out you know from Nelson, from Waynesboro, uh, from Fluvanna, all you know coming here, um, and and you know apparently. Charlottesville is more of a, uh, or has been, or is more of a space to where, in guns in particular, some of those can be offloaded here uh, just because of the nature of how some of the relationships in the past in policing um, have been affected. But I think that, uh, you know, Chief Cautious and again, Chief Reeves and Chief Longo are, you know, uh, pulling together, you know, some, some avenues for, for trying to change that direction. And again, it's not going to happen overnight, but that's. Um, yeah, that's where it is. I mean, we really have to also look at, you know, what are the alternatives that we can uh, provide for, for these kids when it comes to, you know, job training, when it comes to, um, you know, some of these life skills that, that need to be, um, you know, implemented. Those are, that's a, that's a community effort. That's a collective effort. Um, and and uh, as far as a policymaking perspective, I think, so when I grew up here, we had alternatives to go to, you know, summer camps and what have you. Those things have been pulled out over you know over that time frame and so we have to and that's the policy making aspect and so we have to put that back up to really kind of tr change the corner turn the corner how how do you think policing has changed under the new tenure of chief michael Cotches from the previous tenure of chief brackney i mean it seems um this is just one man's opinion sure. Yours, it, it seems a much more engaged department within the community the brand equity or the image of the department seems to me to be way more positive mm -hmm. than it previously was a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And Kotchis just went into this game being like, I'm going to be transparent, guys. Yeah. This is, I'm an open book. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, one, I mean, when I was on the oversight board, one of the concerns was that we would have uh, community-oriented policing. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot of the community who are, are supportive of, the, of some of the practices and policies that have taken place, but there are still some folk who have, uh, <clears throat> you know, concerns, and we have to address those concerns, but I think it'll uh, take place over time. Um, I don't know <laughs> what month he is, what month he's in at this point, um, but, you know, there still has to be time for those things to be implemented, and I think, you know, he is doing a good uh, a good job of being out there in the community and really talking to folk, you know, across the board um, to, to really find out what the needs are and how we can uh, best work policing and community relations together. You got uh, John Blair on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Hello, John. Ginny Hu on uh, Twitter watching the show. See the folks at the weekly newspaper on the uh, program as we speak right now. If you have questions, put them in the feed. I see a couple questions coming in. I will relay them on air very shortly. Um, I saw you on social media at the opening of the Tonser League, and yes. I loved it. Yes. Um, I see you on social media um, at the uh, Black Professionals Network yes. at the Ridley on West Main. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been extremely impressed with your outreach uh, within the black and brown community yeah. in rallying the community yeah. around potentially the issues that are currently at hand. Sure. Talk to us about that effort. This is, this is my community. This is where I've grown up here. Uh, I am the only candidate in this race who is a Charlottesville native, born and raised here, gone through the public schools. Obviously, most of that time, I've spent in the black community. So I am part of uh, the community. So for me, it's really trying to, trying to represent us as, as best as possible. 
Um, I know that there are, there are some folk who, you know, have relationships or claim relationships in that space, but unless you've lived in the black community and you, you know, I've been, uh, what do you call it? Um, I've looked suspicious by police. You know, You've been before. profiled. Yes. Yeah. And and that that's you told us that story. If memory serves correct, from a previous interview, it was in Northern Virginia. Correct, Fairfax County. Yeah. Um, and that's you know, those are those are things that you just can't. Um, uh, you just have to live it. You just have to know it, like day in and day out. And so I make it a point. I know that some folk don't necessarily um, you know agree with some of the things that you know Dr. Bellamy has done or what have you. Um, there are times where you know I didn't agree with certain things, but what I see on the ground right now is that he's doing a lot uh, in uh, the black community, specifically in the lower income space, and they're trying to help mitigate against you know some of the gun violence and things like that. So yeah, I'm going to champion that work. I'm going to champion the work across the board. We need to have uh, more black representation here locally, and the Black Professional Network is um, doing you know a great job at that. We obviously have you know folk um, in the older generation that are in the NAACP and, and what have you, and so. My vision, my hope, is to try to galvanize all that together to build some, you know, black political power here locally. Because, quite frankly, when we when I've when we've gone to these forums, when we go to some of these places, and we and we see, you know, what the bar is for elected officials to come in and and ingratiate themselves, it's really low in the black community, and we need to raise that bar up um, if we wanted to get some things, you know, seriously done. Well said. Well said. Um, you started that answer to that question. Um, by saying some folks say within their, the black community here. I don't want to infer. I would say that was um, potentially mentioned with Ms. Colson. Sure. Your, your competition here. Sure. Um, this is a race. Yeah. You're an incredibly competitive guy. Yeah. Talk to us about what separates you first from Katrina Colson. <laughs> um, so, here's, so here's the thing. Uh, without, within this race, from the start, to where we are now, there has been this narrative of deep roots from the Colson campaign uh, in this community. Um, and I have challenged that throughout. Um, you have. The last time, we just, we just recently had a, a Martha Jefferson Neighborhood Association, and it came up again. And, you know, I, you know, it was quiet at that point. But I later, you know, went to a table and spoke with, uh, you know, one of the residents there. And she knew seemingly more about my my family history and the Taylor side, uh, the Fairfax Taylor side, the uh, James T.S. Taylor side, uh, than I did. And there is apparently a Taylor Walk um, in the A Street community. There's Taylor Street that's named after my family. Those are deep roots. My great-grandfather is buried over there in Maplewood uh, Cemetery. The concern uh, that I have, and I don't, I don't have it with me. Oh, actually, I do, um, with regard to uh, Ms. Colson's campaign is that in 2018, uh, with the Charlottesville Tomorrow article, she specifically says, I was born and raised on military bases around the world. My parents and extended family are all from Virginia, Scottsville, Fredericksburg, Stanton. Um, there, are a number, there are a number of other things, or you know, a couple of other things. When we look at um, you know, a flyer that she sent out to voters uh, saying that she's the only candidate uh, with ex recent experience standing up to Republicans' extreme agenda. Cool. This, this, is a, this is a district that is 80-plus percent Democrat. Where is this Republican extreme agenda? There's also this deal of, you know, adopted a $15 minimum wage for all school employees. Well, that was a Dr. Haas's request, and the Board of Visitors are the ones who granted that. So these are, when we're talking, and you say, we'll get into the 55th, um, but when we're talking about misleading voters, that, those are 
definitive examples. And what I've heard across the board from Republican and Democrat, we don't want people who are going to mislead us. We want practical solutions. We want to get. We want folk that are going to get get in there and get the job done. And that's what we're looking for. Uh, we see the outcome of what uh, you know misleading voters has taken place in the 55th district. Um, you know, I, I come at this not from a not from a candidate perspective, but as a resident of the 54th district, looking at who would represent me, and the same the same thing. Uh, when I was on the oversight board. Nobody wanted to uh, step up to the plate and say, hey, there's some problems within the Charlottesville Police Department and those problems are affecting the greater community. Somebody has to stand up and raise the red flag. This is me standing up and raising the flag on this particular issue because I don't believe that we need, you know, George Santos type of leaders for our district. Katrina Colson has been funded heavily by one Sonia Smith. Correct. I mean, I'm talking, she's... Oh, I know. I know you know. I don't think the viewers and listeners realize. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. So so our last reporting cycle, I came in at the bottom of the totem pole, 13 grand. Um, So if you guys want to donate, we can talk about that later. Sure. Dave Norris came in at 28 grand. Katrina Carlson, 110 grand. Yeah. That's a substantial difference. Absolutely. And 40 of that, uh, you know, came from uh, Ms. Smith. Um, And so, you know... It is what it is. There are things that that take place behind the scenes that the public don't necess- doesn't necessarily get to see, but that's wh- that's where we are. Um, and you know, I've spoken to some other folk who are like, you know what, money doesn't always matter. Uh, it, it, you know, these mailers don't always matter because some of the voters don't get it. It's really connecting to folk. But that is a that is a substantial difference, and 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 the voters have to take stock of that. Some some care, some don't, but that's where things are. $42,350 from Sonia Smith. Yeah. She is legitimately or has legitimately funded um, Sally Hudson's current seat in the House of De- uh, Delegates and is funding Sally's campaign for state Senate against credits. Mm-hmm. Sonia Smith behind the scenes is a rainmaker along with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, do we need finance reform for these campaigns? Excuse if if a, a race like this that is a couple steps above a local, I mean, this is a local race here. Correct. It's a local race here. Correct. $42,350 is um, a third of her fundraising. Sure. Do we have to have some kind of a cap? I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and there is. Because we talk Dominion influencing races. Correct. How about the Smith? Michael, Michael and Sonia influencing races. Well, I think, I think, and there is talk about you know um, making a cap or, or campaign finance reform uh, at the state uh, at the state level because there is none at, you know currently. And I think you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the same token, you know, if, you, if you're like my campaign and we're grassroots and we're getting out there and we're knocking on doors and we're doing things despite all of that, you know, there there is still uh, you know opportunity there. So money doesn't always necessarily guarantee a victory, um, and that's been. Um, that's been shown even in the Northern Virginia race. Uh, so we're just going to continue to go out and, and do what we have to do on behalf of the people, on behalf of the people across the board. As you mentioned, affluent, middle class, um, low income across the board. Um, Dave Norris. What separates you from Dave Norris? I believe his campaign is literally watching you right now. <laughs> if you want to put that lower third up, what separates you from Dave Norris? Um, I mean, I think it's... I, <laughs> I think there's there's a lot. Obviously, um, one of the challenges that I that I have with uh, the the housing affordability deal is is this this premise that it's that it's housing you know across the board when primarily it's been the public housing space that you know he's been operating in. 
everybody doesn't necessarily, and it's not to say that public housing is bad, but everybody doesn't necessarily want to live uh, in public housing. So when we're talking about housing affordability across the board, and, and a lot of those issues will happen at the state level, I mean at the local level, with city council and what have you, with zoning and, and, and what have you, we have to be uh, honest about that and really look at a, a, a full spectrum from um, the lower income all the way up to um, you know those who can afford it, um, which, I mean, quite frankly here, we, we see that, that home prices have gone through the roof. Um, and, you know, 60% 60, 60 of most of the new home prices are costs. Um, and, that, and that comes into play with regard to, you know, how permits get done and, and, and what have you and, um, and inter, uh, inflation and, and, and interest rates and things like that. Um, I have my, my experience is a lot more, you know, Dave, Dave has already been or Dave has obviously been, you know, mayor, what, over a decade ago. My experience uh, in local government has been more recent. Um, I think that, you know, again, I am the only candidate uh, in this race who's born and raised here. Um, you know, I've, I'm the only candidate who uh, has military service, U.S. Marine Corps veteran, honorable service. I'm the only candidate with a business background, and I look at things from a practical perspective, not a political perspective, um, to be able to get things done. And, you know, I just... Uh, I believe I represent a, a, a greater swath um, of our community, of our district, um, than Mr. Norris does. You should, you should highlight um, your family's history. Yes. Yeah. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. So in 2019, when I ran, um, so the city did a proclamation, uh, gave it to my grandmother uh, about my great uncle James T. S. Taylor. Um, he was one of 240 African or black soldiers that fled the Confederacy here. Um, and went to fight for the Union, came back, and became one of the first 24 black men elected in Virginia um, after or at the start of Reconstruction. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't, focus that. I didn't focus on that aspect at the time, but you know, a couple of friends asked me, would I be uh, the first black delegate? And so I did more research. You know, come to find out, um, you know, his father, Fairfax Taylor, uh, was a slave in Berryville, purchased himself out of slavery, came down here, um, and he was instrumental in the separation of the two uh, First Baptist churches, the one on Park and the one on Main, because at the time, um, you know, the white folks sat on the bottom, the free blacks sat on top, um, and, you know, they, they were overruled in, in some spaces, and that wasn't okay with him. And so he, he started arguing for black liberation. That's why we have, you know, um, you know again, the First Baptist Church on Main, and they, um, you know, I, I believe there, there's some family, you know, photos and things in there, uh, um, with regard to my family, and then again, we, over on Taylor, over on Taylor Street, that's named after them. Um, doing some more digging, I found out that his mother, uh, my fifth-generation grandmother, uh, Grace, was you know put into slavery at 15 years old, started having or was forced to have babies every two years. So she was making property; she wasn't making babies for uh, from the standpoint of you know slavery. She was making property every two years. Um, she had she had eight babies, uh, died at 45 in slavery. So 30 years of her life, that's what she was that's that's what she was doing, and and the uh, annotation on her obituary was that she was a she was a good servant, um, well loved by her mistress and her family, um, and and there was something else. Um, but but that shows you know our country and, and where we've come from. And, and, and that lineage really, like when I started to connect those dots, uh, you know, from, from where I did exclusive of that, um, where I was in politics, in business, on my own, 
and then to tie this together because I, you know, I was doing this, nobody else in my family, immediate family is in this space. I got to go back to the 1800s to find these two uh, individuals, my grandfather Fairfax and my great uncle uh, James T.S. to find out who I'm most like. And it was like, as soon as that came on, it was like, there was just, I don't know, it just sends, gives goosebumps and, and what have you. And I will give credit uh, to, uh, there's a UVA third year, uh, Emily Miller, who did a research project on uh, my grandfather um, in 2022, and that's how I found out. How did you guys connect? How'd you find out about that project? This is awesome. Well, I mean, that's like a super in-depth, like ancestry.com DNA swab. It's yes. basically what that is. Yeah. Well, because I, because there was something missing. I was like, you know, my, the question that I had in my mind, I'm like, all right, there's this focus on James T.S. that the city did a proclamation. But what about, you know, what about Fairfax? It felt like there was something missing. And so I started to do more research on that, found her article online. Um, Emily, if you're listening, thank you. Um, and it just it just opened up a, a whole new deal, and so there is a book called Keeping the Faith that's written about the First Baptist Church on um, on Maine, and it tells that whole history uh, in in that particular space. So, like that, you know, it's it's just I don't know. It's it still gives me goosebumps. Um, you know, they my great uncle when he was in. Uh, when he was representing our area, he argued for suffrage, he argued for public schools, um, and those are just obviously the similar things that, that, that I'm arguing for. So it's just, this is in my bloodline. Uh, my mom passed away in 2019, uh, um, and my great-grandmother, my, great my grandmother's mother, passed away, I believe, in uh, 2021. Um, and so when I told her that, this is, that I was doing this and carrying on the family legacy, like she just lit up. And, and she actually, you know, came out and uh, voted with me on the first day. I saw the photo. Yeah. That's that awesome. That's, that's my lady. That's my heart. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's a calm, kind spirit. Um, but she's, you know, loving and, and, and you know, in, in the stead of, of my family lineage, like, that's, that's who we are. We're just, you know, out to serve others, out to love on folk, and, and really do things, you know, for the greater good. So. you got a, a primary that is... 12 days away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're less than two weeks from the Democratic primary that's going to determine this race. Yes. Put it in perspective, sleepless nights, how you continue <laughs> to make this. I mean, 12 days away. Here. Yeah. I'm grinded, man. I mean, you know, I got, I got my face mask so I can go out here under this cloud of smoke. I mean, I, you know, I heard, I spoke to a guy who's actually supporting my So the collective pack, the collective pack uh, is a, um, a pack that specifically seeks to place black candidates in public office at the local, state, and federal level are arguing for, you know, black issues, black liberation, and the whole nine. Um, I was talk, speaking with a, um, a gentleman uh, from the Collective Pack, uh, I guess, two days ago. He's up in New Jersey, and he's like, you know, the, the pictures don't do it justice. Um, I, you know, had friends in Northern Virginia who were posting pictures with regard to the smoke, and I'm like, wow. And I come out this morning, I'm like, Wow. So it's, you know, it's trickling down. And so, but I'm going to still put on my face mask, get out there, grind it out because, you know, things still need to be done. Um, and, and that's really, that's really what it's about. You know, if, if there are, you know, supporters who support my campaign, who like my campaign, what I'm about, um, I'd be happy to have, you know, your support and knocking on these doors. Um, uh, I'm doing the majority of it, but, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, have that support. And, and that, I think that's really what it boils down to. We've done, you know, a lot of interviews. We'll do some more um, got, you know, got things in place. We, I mean, this is a, this is definitely a grassroots bare bones, you know, type of, uh, type of campaign, but we're effective. Um, you know, we're scrappy and, and we're getting things done. 
Um, and I think that's that's what will carry it out. We'll just get, continue to, to bang on doors and talk to folk. And um, we have one more <clears throat> uh, forum left on, on June 13th, um, the Black Empowerment Coalition. But, you know, at this point, it's really, you know, getting folk out and, and getting in their face. So. Johnny Ornalis just shared the show. Um, the yes. mayor of McIntyre said the First Baptist Church back then was at the corner of 2nd and Jefferson Street. A mm -hmm. um, little history right there from the mayor of McIntyre. Um, multiple media outlets watching you here, um, Candidate Brown, on this program. Let me throw this question to you. Um, this campaign is going to be pretty tight. I mean, you got three candidates here that have some name recognition. Mm -hmm. You have tremendous grassroots support. And as you've said, you've done the work Seville, with the Police Civilian Review Board. You ran for 2019 with City Council. People know your name here. Yes. When this is said and done and people go to vote on the 20th, yes. give them a message. This is gonna, I think this yeah. is really going to be a really tight race. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, Do you think? We'll go... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm hearing a lot of positive things, but I'll take it as it'll be a tight race. And this is what I'll say. Um, again, most folk know, as a chairman of the Police Oversight Board, what I went through publicly, you know, the attacks publicly, for doing the right thing. Um, and it was proven that I did the right thing for the, better, uh, for the betterment of our community. If you remember, we did an interview prior to, and you were like, how is this election going to play out? I gave you my thoughts. I didn't know that I would be as involved in that particular space. But, that, but that's how it played out. Um, and so I stood up for our community. I'll stand up for our district. Um, and I did it with, you know, with grace, under pressure. And now we have a police civilian oversight board that, that is the leader in the Commonwealth. We have investigatory power. We have subpoena power. Um, and, and other localities are coming here to look at us to see how we're, you know, how we're doing things. Chief Koch has rightfully stated that you know, oversight and policing don't have to be at odds. They can, be, um, they can, they can work well together. Um, and there are folk who don't like the police um, who appreciate what the Oversight Board has done. There are folk who do like the police that appreciate what the Oversight Board has done. And I think that's a mechanism that should be um, you know, you know, presented throughout the Commonwealth. Um, as a whole, because I believe that there is significant value in it. Um, uh, Stephanie Jones has got a comment for the candidate. I live in the district. Please, Jerry, ask this candidate what he's hearing on public schools and what he, if any, can do about the performance in these schools. Sure. I mean, I think at this point, you know, I, <laughs> public school funding is, is obviously, uh, you know, something that is significant and that is needed. Uh, we have uh, 1,100 uh, public schools uh, within the Commonwealth, both rural and urban. Uh, that need updating, that need funding, um, and so, and we have to support our teachers. Uh, the budget still hasn't uh, been completed, to my knowledge, um, and 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 we really have to leave it to the professionals to help navigate these spaces. But again, a lot of it comes down to uh, the funding issue that that's needed. And you know, quite frankly, um, you know, Elmore County is still are you know navigating through the collective bargaining space. We have to support our teachers, you know, across the board, our teachers, students, and staff across the board. So um, you know, that's that's what I'm about, and and I think. Again, the funding aspect will be, I guess, the strongest uh, deal that that we can do to bring forth here. Um, when we look at some of the issues that are coming out of uh, out of Richmond, with things like the uh, optional AP History course, that's a wedge issue. For what? For what purpose? To get people riled up for no reason. That's an, you know, parents don't have to uh, you know force their kids to take that to take that class. So we got to get it. We got to get away from this space of of creating school systems as a as a war zone because that's essentially okay. Maybe that's the war zone is strong, but as a battle zone because that's essentially um, you know what politicians have done. 
Uh, we got to step out the way, um, provide funding for our teachers and students and staffs, and let them do their jobs effectively. Kelsey, this is a pointed question here. Will the candidate answer or offer insight on Albemarle County's performance? His opponent is a school board member right now, and if you look at some of these performances in the classroom, it's just not matching up to the standards we want as parents. Sure, absolutely. And again, I think, you again, you... you I believe the staffing issue is a problem, and we have to, uh, a lot of it comes down to, to the capital, to the funding. We need to fund avenues that are going to increase, uh, you know, these, these performance metrics. Um, if you don't have the funding in place, if you don't have um, the opportunities in place for teachers uh, and staff to, to help increase these metrics, um, you know, that's, it's going to create problems. And you also obviously have folk that are in uh, low-income poverty community. Uh, we got to address those issues. Uh, when you, when you, uh, let's let's just take the you know the city space for instance. Um, when you got folk, when you got kids that are coming across, got to come from Prospect over to let's say Lugo McGinnis, cross over Hardy Drive, and they got beefs going on and things like that. Well, you got to help navigate those issues. You got to find out what are the core issues um, that are going on there. So it's not just um, it's not just the funding aspect, but it's also what's going on outside the home, and how do we best you know, help our parents uh, in that particular space. Kevin Higgins, I'll get to your question here in a matter of moments. Thank you for the question. More questions are coming in very quickly here. Does he think this is a follow-up question from another mom? Uh, and I appreciate this comment from Katie. Um, does he think the school board has done a good job to this point? And she also wants to know your stance on collective bargaining. Uh, I'm 100% for collective bargaining. I was there standing with teachers trying to be uh, in the background uh, at the second meeting. Um, do I believe the, Almore, the ACPS has done a good job? I think I'm challenged by to say, to say that they have. Um, I think that, uh, let's take for instance, there was a vote with regard to, um, to uh, name change. It doesn't matter you know, what, what side of the avenue you're on. Uh, but... 84%, 84-90% of the constituents said, this is what we want. ACPS says, no, this is what we're going to do. So automatic, and, and the fallback was, well, this policy said, this is what we have to do. So if, you're not, if, you, if you draft a policy that says, I don't, I don't have to listen to constituents in the future, that's problematic. I think that's the same thing if we look at, um, you know, Virginia getting out of the regional greenhouse gas initiative. 88% of folks across the Commonwealth say, that's a good thing that we should do. But we have an administration that says, eh, we're not going to listen to that. When we get into the habit of not listening to constituents and not listening to folk to, to what their needs are, to what they're telling us, those are, that's problematic. When we go into, let's, say, let's take the SRO deal. Uh, initially, it was said, we're pulling SROs out because of they're ineffective and uh, because uh, the issue of discrimination. School resource officers, policemen in schools. Yes, uh, because of discrimination. We go into, uh, and I believe that was time we had, we had COVID for a That's couple correct. years. And then we come back in, and all of a sudden, the discrimination's gone, and they're effective. So, you know, those things, you can't, th th those, you got to be honest with folk. I'm not, you know, I'm just a straight shooter, because I think that's what we have to do if we're going to solve problems. You got to get, you got to get to, you know, what are the challenges? What are the potential solutions? How do we implement those solutions and get things done? But you got to be honest with folks, straight up and down. Um, and, and so I would, I, I'm challenged to say that ACPS has uh, done an effective job. I think if we go back and look at, you know, where the, where, where the kid was hazed uh, at Elmore High School, 
you know, those are JV JV football locker room. Correct. Those are those are all challenges. I wouldn't say that those are good things that ACPS should be proud of. Um, the guys on point. Questions are coming in fast here. This is from David. He wants to know your stance on uh, taking funding from public public schools and giving it to parents to potentially allocate to private schools. Should they choose? Uh, so, again, here in the 82nd, 82nd, here in the 54th district, we are 80 plus percent um, democratic environment. Um, obviously, and I'm a product of public schools. I went to, I went through Venable, Walker, Buford, and CHS. Um, I'm strongly in support of our public school teachers. I'm strongly, I mean, I've got a fantastic education coming out of the public schools. So here in this particular district, I'm going to stick with the public schools. Um, and, and I'm going to strongly support the public schools. And, you know, that, that's, that's where I stand on that. I know that there are other districts that, you know, they may not um, uh, feel the same way. But here for the 54th district, that's where we are. And that's what I'm going to support. Um, the intriguing thing about this race, um, and I think candidate Brown and candidate Norris have realized this, the school piece is very much front and center. Yes. Um, and candidate Colson, in some cases, depending on who you ask, may has may have messed this up. May have messed this up when it came to the collective bargaining. When months ago, maybe she gave indications she wasn't very much in favor. Sure. Um, a lot of folks think candidate Colson, especially within the teacher stakeholder. Uh, forward Albemarle lobbying group. I yes. think candidate Colson has slowed collective bargaining. Sure. And one of the reasons we ACPS does not have it yes. is perhaps because of candidate Colson. It would seem from a strategy standpoint, a political science standpoint, and you're one of the best at political science. We've we got a Batten Institute guy here. Um, it would seem <laughs> well, like... Sorensen. So. Sorensen Institute. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. It, it, it would seem like schools in this track record is an opportunity for not only you and candidate Norris. Yeah. Well, so again, this is you know this is uh, from this from the state level, um, but we got to we got to rely on the folk who are the experts in their job, um, and this is the these are the teachers, these are the, the, the staff, um, these administrators here, and let them do their job effectively. Um, it was yeah right. It should have been a no brainer. Uh, to move collective bargaining forward. Especially when Charlottesville CPS, when Charlottesville schools are doing it. Yeah. There's this invisible line that nobody knows yeah. where the teachers and the faculty and the staff within Charlottesville public schools are going to have this opportunity yeah. and this leverage. Yes. ACPS, if they don't do it, yeah. folks are going to be sprinting from ACPS across the invisible line to work there. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. So in 2021, we, uh, the police oversight board got an ordinance from the general, or got statute from the General Assembly that allowed us to have oversight board here locally. At that same time, that's when collective bargaining was, was, was presented uh, across uh, from the General Assembly as well. And there was a study that was done that said that it is, it positively affects, uh, you know, students, teachers, and, ta and staff, and it should be done. Um, at this point, I believe we're, you know, up to eight or so localities, maybe more, who've already adopted it. Um, CPS is in the process of finalizing it, but yeah, Absolutely, um, you know, ACPS is, is well behind the curve. And when you, when, you, when you want to talk about, you know, women's rights and what have you, I believe it's, you know, 80 plus percent of, of teachers are women. Um, and, and when you, so how can you, you know, uh, champion, you know, or, or cry you're championing women's rights, but then deny collective bargaining to, you know, a, a union of 80 plus percent women? Um, that doesn't that doesn't seem you know to jive well with me. Um, questions: Kevin Higgins in Greenwood, um, a thriving suburb of Crozet. Mm -hmm. He says, outside of family and friends, who are the people that have influenced your life, Candidate Brown? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, you know, for me, 
I'm a, I'm a person of faith. Um, I, as I said, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on getting in this race. I didn't want to get in this race. I had some other goals that I wanted to do. But it was, it was that faith aspect that led, me, that led me here. It said, this is what you're going to do at this point in time. So I would say, um, you know, faith is a big issue. And, and it's not, you know, people under this day and age, they, 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 they look at Christianity, they look at faith, and they're turned off by it because I think it's, it's the way it's presented is in a, a, uh, in a light that doesn't respect other folk. And that's not it at all. We're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're supposed to, you know, um, what does it say? Um, and this is Brian Stevenson. We're supposed to you know, do justly or do justice, walk, uh, love mercy, and walk humbly. And that's what it's about. We're about serving others. And, you know, that's what, that's what all of this boils down to me. So I would say, um, you know, absolutely, you know, faith is a, is a big part. Um, what, Matthew McConaughey had this had this deal where he says somebody asked him the question, you know, who do you look up to? Um, and I believe his answer was me five years from now, me ten years from now. And I think I think that is a very uh, you know uh, poignant you know statement because when I look at the changes, even in this race from the start to to where we are now, it, it takes a lot. It changes a lot, and you grow up a lot pretty quickly. Um, and so when I look at the struggles that, I, that I've been through, um, grew up here in poverty, um, didn't, have, didn't have means, had to go through, uh, had to serve in the, in the U.S. Marine Corps to get college funding, had to navigate that whole space, first-generation college kid, um, had to go out here, you know, suffer setbacks uh, in terms of, you know, navigating the space from how do we transition from poverty uh, to, you know, not being in poverty. Those are all hard cycles. The, the, the spaces where, you know, I'm alone and things aren't necessarily going well um, and you got to fight through that. So, you know, I, I, it's not meant to be an arrogant space, but it's meant to be an understanding of what I've been through and the struggles that I've been through. And I'm, and I'm quite proud of myself, uh, you know, for that. So, yeah. That's a damn good answer. Well, it's, I mean, it's true. That's seriously good. It's, I mean, that's what it is. I don't, like, Jerry, you know me. Yeah. I'm not here for BS. Yeah, this dude's authentic. I'm not, I know for a fact he's authentic. I've you know, known this guy, I've been interviewing this guy since 2019. This guy yeah. is what you see is what you get. 100%. 100%. Um, and, and I'm just here to serve our, serve our district, serve our community, um, serve the Commonwealth of Virginia to the best of my ability. Lisa Custolo on Cherry Avenue. I love Bellamy Brown's work. Um, and what he's all about. She makes a suggestion about uh, considering accessible playgrounds for all children, including children um, that are disabled, her son disabled. Um, So she's highlighting that. Carly Wagner is watching the program. She has this question for you. What are Candidate Brown's thoughts on school choice where funds follow the student? I know a big argument against it is that it would only help affluent students, but I don't buy it. If it's implemented to implement it correctly, it could work. She also says maybe the funds are graduated based on household income. Over 200,000 families get nothing. Poverty line and below get 1.5% per pupil, something along those lines. So she wants to know, I mean, a lot of people are asking this question. Sure. Um, funding for public schools and, and, and maybe having that funding go to parents for choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to go back to, to Lisa Costello's uh, statement sure. for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, absolutely right. And, and I don't... You know, this is a political space, um, and so I don't try to mix, you know, some of the things that I do outside of it. But I am a board member of Bennett's Village, 
and we're working hard to bring an all disabilities or all abilities playground um, here locally to Penn Park. Uh, you know, Yuku Weaver, um, uh, Kara McClurkin, and, and a bunch of other ladies who are doing some 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 great work there. And so, you know, we want to definitely uh, get that done uh, because it's needed. Again, we're looking at how do we serve our entire our entire district. Um, you know, again, with this with the school choice question. Um, you know, again, I'm in, I'm in support of, of our public school teachers, our, our public school students, and our public school staff. Um, I'm not um, uh, I'm not closed off to you know hearing different perspectives um, or, or points of view. But that's 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 where I find you know a lot of value. We were having a conversation last night actually, and you know somebody was pointing out that a lot of the folk that you know go to Stab, uh, go to Miller, uh, you know. Uh, Tandem and some of these other schools. These are these are wealthy folk who have the you know the opportunity to go there. I know that there are some there are some you know kids uh, who aren't wealthy who get who get scholarships there. And they and they get great educations. But I also know that they, that kids get great educations uh, within um, Charlottesville uh, public schools as well. Um, and and we have to champion that. We have to bring value to that because everybody can't necessarily uh, you know afford those spaces. Um, and. And that's where I stand strongly uh, in support of our public schools. Uh, Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville has a question, um, which I'll get to in a matter of moments. A lot of folks watching you here, Candidate Brown. Here's um, Vanessa's. Does collective bargaining in Almoral mean by default they will be, become part of the natural, National Teacher Union? This is the union that resisted return to in-person instruction during COVID. The union acts in the best interest of their members, which sometimes benefits students, but sometimes does not. Teachers, like all employees, deserve fair, competitive compensation and safe workplaces, union or not. Any thoughts on that one? So I don't know uh, the inner workings of what the, in this particular case, the Almore Education Association, uh, you know, would be would be doing. I only know what's here on the ground. Okay. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a teacher who <laughs> taught me at Buford a uh, long time ago, um, who's now a teacher over in the Almore County Public School Systems. I know um, you talk about Johnny Ornelas and, and Philadelphia Soto. I've spoken to these folks. These are good people, and we have to support them in what they do because it has a direct bearing on the education for our kids. I know that there is a debate about school choice and, and, and what have you, but again, in this particular district, in the, in the, in the 54th district, a strongly 80-plus you know, percent Democratic district, we're going to support public schools. I like it. I like it. i got to ask you about HD55. Sure. Um, Callan Squire, Amy Lawfer, two Democrats. Yeah. As of probably like three and a half weeks ago, I think they might have been friends. Yeah. I don't know how they recover from this. Yeah. Um, Lawfer sends out, what, one, two, couple of mailers and some statements basically saying Kellen Squire is, uh, is, is, is against abortion. Um, to Lawfer's credit, and I think Lawfer has committed a number of blunders in this campaign, but Lawfer said, look, Squire did this. And then yesterday, Squire's hosting a press conference at the Northside Library with a bunch of electeds behind him, and he finally says, look, I made a mistake. I screwed up. After three or four chances of making excuses, like this was a strategic uh, behind-the-scenes like operation to try to trick the Republicans. And then he also made the statement of, I was trying to reclaim the brand of pro-choice or pro-life or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And a lot of lame excuses, I thought, from Squire at first, till yesterday, finally, him saying it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. I think Lawfer has a lot of culpability here. How about open-ended, anywhere you want to go on this, and then I'll unpack some specific questions. So, so here's my thing, and this is my understanding from talking to folk and uh, you know, strong supporters of, of uh, Mr. Squire. Um, he said he's already, he's already mentioned this several years ago when it happened. He's already came out and said it. 
He's having to do it again. Um, I think, again, from a, obviously have a, a politics background, political science, you know, and the whole nine. I think there are absolutely some uh, significant initial challenges and blunders from a new politician um, trying to get out there and and and. and so it's a uh, rookie making some mistakes initially. I would say that I would say that that's part of it. I, I would say that you know, from my understanding, he has grassroots folk. It's a band of different people. Um, and, and, and perhaps the messaging, you know, could have been different, but everybody knows people, everybody knows each other in the 55th district and the 54th district. We all know each other. Yeah. Coming out of the gate, it was already stated. This is, and, and quite frankly, Amy could have won this without doing that. I'm surprised she did this. I, I think she was the favorite prior 100%. to doing these mailers. 100%. And now it's a toss up. This was a strategic error. Uh, she would have won hands down. hundred percent. And... The reasoning behind it, I don't know, but I know that for me, if I were to be elected and to see this, I would have challenges in the in the trust department uh, in this particular. That's space. what I was going to ask you. Yes. Can you trust any of these candidates now? If if you win, you may be working. If you win, the odds are you're going to be working alongside Lawfer or Squire. Yes. We are hearing scuttlebutt that Steve Harvey's about to jump in the race as okay. an R. Okay. We also are hearing scuttlebutt that Denver Riggleman is very much considering jumping in this race. Okay. If Riggleman jumps in this race, that guy's probably going to win it. Steve Harvey, friend of the program, has come on the show here. If he runs as an R, that's going to be extremely challenging in a district that's very, very blue. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and Steve knows that here. Mm-hmm. Could you trust either Squire or Lawfer if you win this race and work alongside them in the House? So I went back and I and I and I read uh, what is it the Daily Cause or whatever. Yeah, it was. his blog, the yeah. initial blog that got him in heat. Yes. So I went back and I read it. And you got to read the entire thing, right? For context, you got to read, read the entire too. thing. Yeah. And this is a deliberate move to cherry pick a section and to put it out there and to present a narrative that you know is false. But is that politics? Again, you said earlier this is a local race. Okay. 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 We all know each other in this race. 100%. 100%. We know each other's background. We've been vetted good and bad. Okay. You know, and politics or not, if you're going to deliberately try and mislead voters and cherry pick a section to win a race that you already likely were going to run any, anyway, that's, that's a challenge for me. So I would be more inclined to work with Kellen than to trust Ms. Lawfer if she were to win out, which she still may. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and you have to have working relationships within the General Assembly to be able to get things done. It's not to say that, uh, again, if I were elected and she were elected, that it, we can find ways to uh, do work on behalf of our space. But I, I, I'm pretty confident that I would be concerned about whether or not she would try to undermine me. Whether she's being authentic or disingenuous. How, and, however it is. Okay. And the follow-up question is, and I'm choosing my words carefully, some of the stuff that maybe one of your competitors has done in this race, uh, Ms. Coulson, does that fall in a category of misleading like this? voters? Yes. That's what I want to ask. That's the, a very pointed question. Yeah, that's what I said. It's, this is, it's not as... Is it the same? It's not as egregious. Okay. Okay. But you're still misleading voters. Okay. You're still misleading voters, and that is a problem. We, that's a problem, you know, again, Republican, Democrat, across the board, they don't want, they don't want George Santos-type leaders, you know? They want folk that's going to, you know, give it to them straight, get the job done, work on the best, work in their, in their best interests, 
and, and go from there. There's no point. I mean, the credentials are solid, the whole nine. There's no point to mislead voters in this particular race, or any race. What do you make of a 2023 tactic or strategy of music festivals for campaigns? There's one this Saturday. Sure. Yeah. Everybody's entitled to their own methodology for how they're going to get their messaging out for, you know, for the voters. I'm going to concentrate on mine. Okay. Um, I, think that's, I think it's effective. Um, I think the voters are responding well to it, and that's what I'm going to continue to focus on. Um, there, again, there are different methodologies. Mine is to really get out there and talk to, you know, pound the pavement, talk to folk, find out what, the, what their concerns are, um, and be able to, you know, come up with some ideas to be able to address those concerns. Sally Hudson versus Creed Deeds, State Senate. Sally sure. taking on an institution. Sally obviously has name recognition. Um, Sally's come on the show multiple times. Creed Deeds, an icon. What do you make of that race? So, I mean, I've already come out and I've said, uh, you know, that I'm in support of Free Deeds. I believe that where, uh, the where he stands right now, um, this is one of the challenges, and I'll say this publicly, and this is, not, this is not me speaking for their campaign. This is me speaking for my observation. There is a narrative out there that, uh, you know, Cree is, or Senator Deeds is, is arguing, you know, seniority. Um, and that has turned off, you know, some of the younger voters. The narrative is um, that Senator Deeds is got the institutional memory and because of his time in the Senate, he's able to get stuff done faster because of that institutional memory. And the narrative is Sally should have waited her turn and she did not. Well, let me, I want, I want to clarify that first. Okay. Uh, so there's this narrative that he's got seniority, but there's the other part that's not really translating to the younger audience and what that means. Okay. The General Assembly is, a, uh, is an institution that is driven on seniority and relationships. In this particular space, with the number of uh, resignations from the General Assembly, Senator Deeds has moved up. He's on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's on the Senate Finance Committee and some other important committees that we, quite frankly, need at this point in time. Um, I got a guy that I went to law school with over over in the 53rd District, uh, Tim Griffin. Tim, if you're you're watching, you know, it is what it is. But they're going to come. You know, he's a Republican. He's, you know, he's, he's got the seat. That's already done. He's already come out and said that he's going to, you know, bring some attacks, you know, against uh, against Democrats, against abortion, you know, you know, uh, gun rights, the whole nine. We need someone who has a leadership, who has the relationships on, uh, uh, you know, in the General Assembly to be able to fight against that. Um, and so that's why, uh, from a practical perspective, I support Senator Deeds. There's nothing uh, with regard to slight against, you know, uh, you know, Sally. But that's that's my that's my perspective there. Um, I hear you know I got relationships in the General Assembly, got relationships here in the district, and that's where that's where a lot of it goes for a lot of folks. They Senator Deeds has done a lot of work. You, you look at you know some of the endorsements that he's got across the board. Those they're not giving these endorsements lightly. You know these are these are relationships that have been built over time. Those are relationships that we're going to need uh, within the General Assembly to represent our area, uh, to def- to defend reproductive freedom, uh, to de- defend some of these challenges, other challenges that are you know that we'll quite frankly face. Um, another race as we wind down that I know you're watching closely <coughs> is the city council race, sure. Charlottesville. Uh, what do we got? Three seats up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Cena McGill stepped down in the middle of her term. She's not running. Lloyd Snook running again. Michael Payne running again. And you got some uh, two newcomers, uh, Mr. Cooper, Ms. Osherin running, um, and Bob Fenwick back in the mix again. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a race that I think you potentially could have dominated uh, <laughs> legitimately. I've said that on the show many times. I think he would have won this race. What do you make of 2023 Charlottesville City Council? 
who do you like? Who would you like to see potentially get elected in those three spots? And sure. What do we need to know about this race that people are not focusing upon? <laughs> so, uh, so I know some. I don't know all about the race. I've already voted uh, for the folk, and I've already told them, you know, that I voted for them. Um, who I would like to see uh, in this in this particular um, in those seats. Um, I've been I've been day in and day out grinding on on the 54th race and what I got to do, um, and so I haven't really. I'll leave that up to the candidates to okay. to, to make their case. Um, I will say that I am. Can I ask who you voted for? Is that allowed? <laughs> you don't, I, I, that's a very pointed question. You could say no. It's my it's private business, and I wouldn't feel. Well, I will say I will I will tell you one of one of the one of the three that I voted for. The okay. other two already know. Um, so I did vote for Deshaun Cooper. Okay. Um, and you know the I, youngest one in the race, I believe he's twenty eight. Um, Maybe Natalie's so a little younger. Per I'm not sure. I'm not okay. sure the ages. Okay. Um, and I and I hope that you know um, you can galvanize the support to 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 get out there and 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 you know place him in that seat. Um, but yeah, that's I mean that's the only one that I will say you know publicly okay. um, that I that I've. Yeah, okay. supporting ready for it. Um, what's the most important issues here in that race? So, um, is it gun violence? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's part of it. But I'm, what I'm also hearing is that you know when we're talking about the zoning, the zoning code, and, and the implementation of that, or it's getting pushed back. Um, we also have to think about the infrastructure um, and 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 the transit space and what's going on there um, because those you, you know. When I ran in 2019, I believe we were still at you know one-hour waits for for bus and transit and, and the whole nine. Um, and I was you know speaking to uh, to someone yesterday. They were saying you know how that affects folk when they're trying to get mental health services, when they're trying to get jobs, when they're you know trying to navigate this life. And most of those folk are low-income folk. So it's you know it, it's it provides a uh, uh, a significant challenge you know for them in that particular space. So I believe that council has to um, figure out how we're going to navigate this, this transit space as we're bringing in more folk into, this, into, in, into the city. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, we still have to uh, champion opportunities that, that get our kids out of these, you know, uh, gun violence spaces, and we have to be real about that. You know, I spoke to another voter or another constituent who was like, you know, a lot of folk around here with, with regard to the black community, it's been a lot of lip service. They'll say, yeah, we'll do something, but then, you know, you know, pull back and then do something completely different. I've seen that as well. Um, and, that's, and that's part of the reason why I want to galvanize black political power here so that we can really, you know, move some of these things, um, move some of these things forward. But those are, I would say those are the things that I've been hearing. Um, you know, and there, there's a guy, and it, you know, I, when I knocked on the door, I, he wasn't there. Um, his wife was there. We had an extensive conversation. Um, uh, just about the gang violence. This is a white couple. They've adopted a, an African American kid, um, and so um, and there's another uh, white couple out in um, Elmore County adopted an African American kid, and they they both wanted me to come in and, and, and speak with the kid or what have you, um, just to to see that example. And I think that's that's a big thing in and of itself. When we're talking about you know a lot of these young black men out here, seeing someone in this particular role could you know be a role model. You know, you know, for them. But going back to this gentleman, he uh, he told me I'd spoken with his wife um, and what have you. This was at the the Moms Demand Action uh, deal over at uh, over at Renton Row, 
And he very pointed me, a military guy, shook my hand. He was like, Bellamy, don't worry about the veterans. Worry about these kids who are out there, you know, uh, in these spaces where gun violence is going on. Worry about these kids about, you know, with regard to schooling and the whole nine. Um, and it, was, it, 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 really, it really stuck with me uh, because I, I think those are genuine concerns across the board. And when we're looking at our district as a whole, a lot of the challenges that we face are in the black community space. Um, and so, I forget what the question was, but we have to really, um, we have to really work, work at that to bring the community up as a whole. Last question. Tell the viewers why uh, they should vote for you. <laughs> sure. I mean, I've, I've demonstrated, um, you know, that I'm a leader. I've demonstrated that um, I'm act, that I act in the best interest of our community, of our district, even as a volunteer. Wasn't paid at all. Um, and I will continue uh, to do that, um, you know, going forward. Um, I know that, uh, I mean, I have the capabilities to uh, build relationships across the, across the board, uh, Republican, ind Independent, and Democrat, so we can get stuff done, whether we're in the majority or in the minority. Um, and, you know, I believe I've demonstrated the leadership uh, to, to earn uh, the vote of, uh, and the confidence of voters here uh, in the 54th District. Um, let them know uh, the website. Yes. And how they can donate. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. So the website is uh, Bellamy Brown for Delegate, B E L L A M Y B R O W N for Delegate.com. Um, you can also donate uh, going to Act Blue and typing in my name, Bellamy Brown. Um, but also, we'd like, you know, folk to again this is grassroots we like folk if you if you like what our campaign is about and you're willing to knock on doors um got a lot of you know uh, uh palm cards to uh, to to be put out um and then also you know the day of you know the go tv um if we can get volunteers um to go to the precincts and hand out literature um those are i think those are the greatest needs at this point and i think that we can close this out and and get you know some sound leadership um across the board uh for our for our district not someone who's, you know, looking to mislead voters. I'm going to tell you what it is straight up so that we can solve problems effectively. There it is, guys. Twelve days away. Twelve days from the primary. For a political junkie like uh, myself, this is like my favorite time of year. I got races <laughs> everywhere that I'm following so closely with a lot of great people in the races. Um, I want to close with this. The folks that are running for these races are the people we see in the grocery stores and around the downtown mall and restaurants. While some of these races have gotten pretty nasty, if we could all remember that these are literally people we're going to see after these races are over. So yeah. the nastiness you say, you're going to probably be held accountable for at one time because you're going to see these people around town. Yeah. These and are everyday people, guys. Yes. And that's, and that's, and, and go back. They're not pro politicians here. And back to my comment, or the Facebook comment, where I said it's going to be, it's going to be awkward. It is going to be awkward. Yeah. Because we. <laughs> she was the chairwoman. I mean, we, we, we these don't are, wanna, these are relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I already know there's so many people who are uh, hurt by, by these actions. Um, and then you've got these, then you've got this space where you're setting up camps. Why? It's unnecessary. I agree. For someone who's likely going to win anyway. Right, right, right. Bellamy Brown, guys. He crushed it. Judah did not crush it. Absolutely amazing right there. Um, that's the show. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll talk about the, uh, the interview we have with candidate Brown tomorrow on the I Love Seville show, 12 days away from state senate primary, um, two district um, in the House of Delegates, that races that matter, and city council and board of supervisors. Get ready, folks. Giddy up and get ready. Thank you for kindly for joining us. My name is Jerry Miller for Bellamy Brown and Judah Woodcower. This is the I Love Seville Show. So long. Dude, that was awesome. He's going to tell us when the mic is over. And